0: God, we welcome you here. Uh, thank you that you are our hope. In every season, we look to you, and especially as we wait for Christmas in this Advent season, keep directing us to you. Amen. We're going to read through the call to worship. I uh, invite you to read and join in with the people A branch shall come forth from the stump of Jesse. Its root shall bear fruit. May we
1: be ready, O Lord, ready to bear fruit, bearers of your harvest, bringing forth the fruit of dwelling, longing, unity, and peace.
0: Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Renew our spirit, stand as a banner before us
1: bright as a morning glory.
0: Prepare the way for new life that emerges in and through you, life that ripples out to your people into all nations.
1: In you there is glorious rest.
0: John the Baptist proclaimed, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near.
1: Prepare the way of the Lord and
0: make God's path straight. Invite the candle lighting um, people to come forward, and we will sing "O Come, O Come Emmanuel." O come. As we prepare, we light this candle as a sign of peace. Bring your restoration to your people, we pray. We welcome you to stand and sing with us the last two songs. sing these songs, I just think there's like, there is so many words in there, and so much meaning, and so sometimes if you don't feel like you want to sing along, just, and even when you do sing, just think about the words about who God is, who Jesus is, and the spirit that he sent to us. you to stay standing. Um, and we did this last time we were leading. I invite you to put your hands out as we um, bless the offering. God, I thank you um, that you are so generous to us. Um, help us to be generous back with the things that you've given us. Um, and um, the, the offerings that have been given in this last week, we give those to you. Um, use them for your honor. And glory. Amen. I'll invite the worship team to uh, go and sit down, and I'll invite each of you to uh, have a seat and turn to your, in your Bibles to Matthew 3. Matthew 3, 1 to 12. I'll be reading from the New International Reader's Version. John the Baptist prepares the way. In those days, John the Baptist came and preached in the desert of Judea. He said, turn away from your sins. The kingdom of heaven has come near. John is the one Isaiah the prophet had spoken about. He had said, a messenger is calling out in the desert. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made out of camel's hair. He had a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea. They also came from the whole area around the Jordan River. When they confessed their sins, John baptized them in the Jordan. John saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptized. He said to them, You are like a nest of poisonous snakes who warned you to escape the coming of God's anger. Live in a way that shows you have turned away from your sins. Don't think you can say to yourselves, Abraham is our father. I tell you, God can raise up children for Abraham even from these stones. The axe is ready to cut the roots of the trees. All the trees that do not produce good fruit will be cut down, and they will be thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water, calling you to turn away from your sins. But after me, someone is coming who is more powerful than I am. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His pitchfork is in his hand to clear the straw from his threshing floor. He will gather his wheat into the storeroom, but he will burn up the husks with a fire that cannot be put out. The word of the Lord.
2: Good morning. This coming Tuesday is our uh, fall congregational meeting. There aren't a lot of uh, pressing uh, issues of issues to decide, you know, direction and, and tactics on. It's, uh, it's a time of elections and, and having people do the, just putting names in blocks. So uh, that's a role that can feel like maybe not the most exciting thing that the church does, but it is in fact because uh, the, the, the blocks that, the, the things that, that people are willing to do establish the direction and focus for us as a congregation in the year going forward. And the things that people are not willing to do for one reason or another end up, end up being things that we decide that for a season we will, we will not be paying as focused attention to. Uh, and so your, uh, your willingness to um, consider the requests that the nominating committee brings to you or that your friends and neighbors in the congregation bring to you uh, is partly your own willingness to, to be involved in the life of the church but it is also your decision about what the priorities and the activities and the focus of our congregation will be for the next year. So as you consider the um, various positions that are available to fill in the life of the church, and as you think about your own willingness and the abilities and gifts of your friends and families and other, other folks in the congregation, um, please please keep that in mind and please come on Tuesday and we will, uh, we will have a meeting together and we will decide who will do what things for the next year and we will uh, prayerfully and with focus on the grace of the Spirit with us, we will establish a direction and focus for ourselves as a congregation. Tuesday at 7.30 in the evening and we'll meet here in the, in the sanctuary.
3: Hello, do I have some uh, young sheep here to come up to the front? <laughs> Come on up, yeah, come on up. Yeah, you can sit here, my young sheep, here, sit over here. Yeah, yeah, all right. Ah, I remember this young sheep from last Sunday. Yeah, okay, my name is Shepherd Amos, and I have come here to share some stuff with you, my sh- the sheep from other areas. Is your shepherd not around today? Okay, well I'll I'll take care of you. I'll take really good care of you for this for a few minutes. Okay, yeah. Oh, so I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself. My name is Shepherd Amos. I come from a very poor Jewish family, and we take care of sheep. And we love taking care of sheep, and we live by Bethlehem. Have you ever been to Bethlehem? Have you guys been to Bethlehem? Do you know where Bethlehem is? It's very close to Jerusalem. Do you know what happens in Bethlehem? Yeah. Whoa. That's cool. What else do you know about Bethlehem? Yes. Mm. And I'll tell you something else about Bethlehem. In Bethlehem, there were thousands and thousands and thousands of sheep on the hillsides. Like you would have no idea how many sheep that Bethlehem had at one time. And you know what? Those sheep would be, have lambs, and those lambs would be perfect lambs, and they would take them to Jerusalem for the Passover, it was a very special time of the year and the shepherds would make sure that those lambs would gotten ready and they were perfect in every way. Now, this week, I was thinking about something that I said last week. I was thinking about that we should prepare for the Messiah to come because people talk about the Messiah. Can you tell me what the Messiah, who the Messiah is? Who's the Messiah? That's a big word. Then you probably don't know what the Messiah is going to do, do you? Let's see. Now, the Messiah is going to come. And the Messiah is the one that prepares the way for us. And the back to God. And the Messiah helps us to get over the hard things that happen to us in our life. Who would the Messiah be? Yes. Do you think the Messiah has another name? Kings? What else does the Messiah? When the Messiah was coming, who actually came? Jesus came. Yes. That little sheep remembers from last week, talking about the Messiah. Yeah, so the Messiah came in Jesus. Now, there were words passed down by the prophets. You know what a prophet is? Somebody that tells what's going to happen. And the prophets from years ago, yes, right, they say what's going to happen. And the prophets have told a long time ago that the Messiah is coming and we need to prepare a way for the Messiah to come in our hearts. And so, as a young fellow, I wanted my heart to be ready to, for the Messiah to come. But it wasn't very, I didn't really, it wasn't a very happy young boy. And in fact, I had a brother named Micah, and Micah didn't even believe that the Messiah was coming. And I did not want to be unhappy and bitter about life like my brother was and, and then there was I, there was twins and Leah and and, and uh, Zeb were like happy go lucky and everybody loved them and everybody and they loved everybody else and they I wanted to be like them but I found out that I really wasn't very often and my heart was kind of sad inside and my parents you know what they told me? They told me that I was a very special young boy and that I was made in God's image. And I thought, yeah, I kind of don't know if you know what you're talking about, but I never said that, of course. But I, I just didn't know if I knew what I was talking about, uh, what what they said, because I didn't feel very special. In fact, sometimes I felt some stuff in my heart wasn't very good. And, um, And yet, I just thought about it, I would sit under the stars looking after the sheep, thinking about this and thinking that if, if, if the Messiah is coming, how am I supposed to prepare a way for that Messiah to come? And I thought about this and thought about it, and I just didn't know how. And one night, something really cool happened. Oh, I'm not going to tell you right now because that's going to come another Sunday, about the really cool thing that happened to me. But I will tell you something that happened in my heart that night. That night, I started to realize that God wanted to prepare a way in my heart. And that was a really special time. And that's what God wants to do in each one of you sheep. He wants to prepare a way in your heart for him to come and for him to come every day and help you through the hard things and every day to help you be more like Jesus. And I realized that I wanted kindness and gentleness and joy in my heart. And I realized that it takes a little bit of time for that to come because I had some things in my heart that were really hard to get rid of that weren't good. I had a lot of anger and bitterness and worry and God really wanted to change those things I'm going to pray, and then we're going to look a little bit at the wall that I would like to build, this wall that we see behind me here, and we're going, just going to look at it for a few minutes, and we're going to do a little bit of building, and, uh, and then you can go back to your pastures. All right, let's pray. Lord God, I thank you. I thank you that you love us so much and that you want to show us the way uh, back to you every day. And Lord, I just pray for each one of these sheep, and I just pray that they would understand a little bit more of how much you love them and how much you care about them and how much you are continually preparing the way in their hearts. In your name, Jesus, amen. Let's have a quick look at my little wall. Here in this this wall, we have one brick here says resentment, and we don't want anything to do with that. Resentment is no fun. Uh, Here's here's another one. Bitterness. Yikes. I don't want to be bitter. Now, here's another one. It says healing. Now, healing is a really good thing because Jesus wants to heal us all the time, and that brick fits just perfectly here amongst the other bricks to build a wall to keep us in, us sheep in. So you can go back to your pastures and eat good grass and drink cool water.
4: Good morning. Please bow with me in a word of prayer to dismiss the little ones to Children's Church. Dear God, we thank you for each and every one of the children of our congregation. And We pray now as they go to Children's Church that you open their ears to what it is that you have to teach them. We pray also Bless the teachers, give them the words to say. God, all of these things we put before you and we also pray a blessing on our service this morning as well. We pray these things in your name, amen. All right, so if you have your bulletins on you, now is the time to take them out. The first one that you are going to see on there is a congregational meeting that has been announced. That is going to be it, 7.30 on Tuesday. You've heard what that's about. I encourage you to come on out. Uh, Wednesday, 6.30, Kids Connect. It is going to be their Christmas wrap-up, and I have a request from Amy. (laughs) If anybody wishes to donate oranges for their Christmas oranges for their Christmas party, they need enough for 50, uh, then talk to her. 50 Christmas oranges, and I'm sure if uh, they all of a sudden go over that, there is going to be plenty of other uses for them as well, as there is a Christmas concert coming up this week as well. So get in touch with Amy, Christmas oranges for 50 people. Uh, Prayer meeting, 6.45 at the church. Thursday at 7.30, a high school girls' Bible study at Bethany's. Friday at 7 p.m., uh, we are going to be having our Christmas concert here at the church. Uh, Bring snacks and dainties to share. It's going to be a good night, so make sure to come on out. Sunday, Sunday school and the worship service and communion is also next week, so make sure to prepare yourselves for that. Uh, Tonight, there is also Carol Fest at MCI, so I am looking forward to that. I hope you all are all as well. We are very well represented as a church at Carol Fest this year, and I am sure it is going to be a wonderful night, so make sure to put that on your calendars tonight, 7 p.m. All right. Is there any other announcements? All right. So then looking at items for prayer. The first one, healing for those who are sick. Uh, I can tell you from firsthand experience now that whatever it is that's going on is definitely enough to knock you off your feet. Thursday, I had a full-on fever and cold and everything like that. I might not sound it now. I'm feeling much better, but my voice is still scratchy, hence the coffee and also halls. And let me tell you right now, that's a terrible combination. But... It should get us through this morning. But apart from that, it isn't a long-lived one, but you don't want to get it. And we definitely want to pray for all of those who do. Uh, Then we want to keep praying for the church during this Advent season. Uh, Pray that God works through us exactly how he works through the season of Advent, by opening our eyes to his coming and what that can truly mean. And also, we received... Uh, A message from Tina Taves this morning. It sounds like she has possibly broken her hand. Uh, Reynolds has taken her into the hospital, and so uh, they're just waiting on that now. But we want to pray for her as well, that maybe it can be a sprain or something else. And if it is a break, that they can get in to the doctor quick and that it can be treated and she can be as good as possible as soon as she can be. So we want to pray for Tina Taves as well. So, then let's go into this time of prayer. Our God, we come before you this morning, first off, in praise. First off, in praise and thanksgiving for the season that we are in, for Advent, for this time where we need to stop, this time where we need to look forward to you. God, we thank you that. If we do that, we thank you that if we do that, we can see who you are in new and glorious ways. We can see what you have done in clear detail. We thank you that that you give to us. And so we pray, we pray that that is what we do this Advent season. We pray that is what we do, that we prepare ourselves for your coming, both in that manger all those years ago and also when you arrive again. But Lord, we thank you for that. And God, as we look at the community around us, we also bring before you a prayer of healing. Lord, this disease, whatever that is, that's going around town, this virus, it's no joke. And so, Lord, we pray for healing. Lord, we pray for healing for those that get it. We pray for those that have not gotten it yet that it passes them on by. Lord, we have seen you work many times before. Healing flus just like this. And we look forward to seeing it again. So we put that before you. And Lord, we also want to bring before you our sister, Tina Taves. God, we pray that her hand is not broken. We pray that it is just anything else. But if it is, Lord, we pray for healing for her as well. We pray that there is no lasting damage. We pray that it heals up as quick as can be. And God, we also... Pray that she gets into the hospital as soon as she possibly can, that she won't be sitting in pain in the waiting room. Lord, we put her before you this morning. And we pray that she knows that our prayers are with her. And Lord, we also want to bring before you tonight, we want to bring before you Carol Fest tonight, that you will be a blessing on the evening. And that the wonderfulness of this community of McGregor shines through, but also your glory shines through as well. Lord, all of these things we bring before you, and we place them at your feet. In your name we pray, amen. If you have your Bibles on you, now's the time to get them out. Matthew 3, verses 1 to 12. That is our scripture today for the second season, second Sunday, for the second Sunday of Advent. And today, for the second Sunday of Advent, we focus on one of the central figures to this time of year, John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is a central figure to this time of year in ways that we may not readily Realize. And so I'm happy that we get to talk about him a little bit. But the reason that he is such a central figure to this time of year, more than we might even realize, we get in this first section already. When we think of John the Baptist, I think we often just kind of stop at the fact that John is the Baptist, don't we? When we think of him as a character, when we think of him as he's the one that baptizes Jesus. And then we just kind of leave all all of our thinking about who he is right there. But that's kind of an unfortunate thing to do with John. That's a little bit like talking about, I don't know, like Abraham Lincoln and just saying he's a president and just not even mentioning anything else that he actually is in history. It's technically true, but at the same time, John has so much more going on than how we normally deal with him actually says. And Matthew wants us to know that straight here in this section, because Matthew wants us to know that how he sees John is not just as a Baptist, as somebody who baptizes others. How Matthew sees John is as a straight out prophet of God. And he lets us know that in a couple ways. He lets us know that because he draws a number of lines between John and the Old Testament prophets. We see one there right in the beginning. John was out in the Judean wilderness. There are a number of stories that involve the wilderness in the Old Testament. Right off the top of my head, one of them is Moses and the people wandering through the wilderness. It says wilderness here, wilderness, desert, it's all kind of. And what happens then with Moses in the wilderness? That's where they get the, the books of the law. That's where God comes before them and really solidifies that he is their God and they are his people. There are other stories as well. There are like, say, Elijah, after that whole time when he calls down fire from heaven to really show all of the people just whose God is the real God and where does he take off to? He takes off into the wilderness and that's where he confronts God face to face. Or there's his protege as well, there's Elisha. Elisha actually isn't Everything that happens with Elisha and like the the baptizing of Naaman in order to clear his leprosy, that takes place like maybe a couple miles from where John is at most. And so when we hear the wilderness, that's where some of the best prophets do their best work in the Old Testament. So we see that link right there, but it goes on past that. We look at verse four. John's clothes were woven from camel hair and he wore a leather belt. First off, That's kind of gross, camel hair. But at the same time, there's exactly one other character in the entirety of the Bible that is said to be wearing a outfit made out of hair. And that is the prophet Elijah. He's so well known for wearing it that there is a story in 2 Kings chapter one, I want to say, one eight, I think, that uh, somebody can like comes face to face with Elijah and doesn't know who he is and then asks the king, who is this guy that's wearing this like hair robe? And uh, without even skipping a beat, the king is like, oh yeah, that's Elijah. They had many run-ins already at that point. And so there's that connection there. John is dressed like a prophet. John is where the prophets do their best work. And then there's this part with the food, with the locusts and the wild honey. And I think when we read that, we often get a bit hung up on the locust part. But that's just actually, like, pretty par for the course if you live in the desert or the wilderness. Like, there isn't much food out there, but there is locusts. And we might think that's gross, but that's because we don't live in the middle of the desert or the wilderness. I'm sure after the thousands of years that people have lived there, they figured out how to make them taste good already. But the wild honey thing, think of all the times where God talks about his word is sweeter than honey, or God is like, let's go to the land of milk and honey. Let's... Whenever this honey is provided, and here this is scavenged land, scavenged food, this is food that God provides directly for Elijah, that it talks about it in the Old Testament through and through as that connection with God and his people. But perhaps there's nothing in this that shows that Matthew thinks of John as a prophet quite so much as what John's message for the people actually is. The the repent, for the kingdom of heaven is drawing near. Or if you're NIV, turn from your sins and turn to God because the kingdom of heaven is near. I like the repent one more. The prophets are another group of people that we often understand wrong or at least understand rather one-dimensionally. The prophets in the Old Testament are a group of people that have a very particular purpose. And when we think of them, we often think, well, that purpose is that they tell the future. Prophecy, it's right there in the name. And I mean, that's kind of seeing it a little wrong. What the prophets do is that they are the ones that have the unique job Of whacking people over the head when they start doing stupid things. They're the ones that have that unique job of goading the people and also enticing the people, and all for that one end of bringing them back to God. All throughout the Old Testament, there's time and time again that people stray away from the Lord. And what the prophets do is through the way that they act, through the prophecies that they give, through the things that they say, it is all to lead the people back to God. I don't know about you, but repent for the kingdom of heaven is drawing near. That's about as pointed of a now is the time to turn back to God of a saying that you can possibly get. That's about as prophetic a saying as you can possibly get. And another telltale sign that John is a prophet is, is that, that phrase, that simple phrase, repent for the kingdom of heaven is drawing near it can actually be understood in two different ways depending upon who it is that you are. A lot of the prophecies are like that. It's not that they say really different things depending on who you are. It's more just depending upon who you are, they hit you different. For some, they're a goad. For some, they are the carrot that entices you in. And this one is very much so like that. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is soon to come. If you take that in line with this quote from Isaiah in verse three here, that with everything that John is saying, he is preparing the pathway for the Lord's coming. He's making straight the way for the Lord. He's clearing out the obstacles. And you understand this in that way, then that is a wonderful thing. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Clear out the junk in your life. Clear out the things in your life that keep the Lord from working through you, and the kingdom of heaven will come. The kingdom of heaven that we should all find so enticing kingdom of heaven that Isaiah talks about, that sees the low lifted up, that sees the disenfranchised seen as people, that sees sin done away with, that sees things made as they should be. But that phrase can also be taken in a very different way as well. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. That phrase can also be taken as a bit of a threat. You better clear your life right now because soon God is going to be here. And if you don't make clear the way for the Lord, if you don't repent, if you don't clear your life for him, you're not going to like it when he does. And we can see that this message is taken in both of these ways in this passage as well. We're told there, verse 6, that a lot of people all come to John, all come to John to hear this message, and then many, many are baptized by him. And when I say many, many, I, I mean many, many, it's thousands, thousands. There are recorded followers of John straight into the second century. And that that message, that if they make clear their lives that the Lord will come, that his kingdom will come, that that lands with so many people at that time, that makes a lot of sense. At this point in time, the Israelites have been under one empire or another for the better part of 500 years. And... While one of them wasn't all that bad, the last two were legitimately terrible for very different reasons. The Romans were taxing them into oblivion and if anyone said anything about it, they were, that doesn't go well. And so what the people were hungering for more than anything was just that return of the kingdom. The return of the kingdom of David that you read about in the Old Testament, the return of the kingdom of heaven that is prophesied in the book of Isaiah, they, they long for it. And so when they heard this message, repent for the kingdom of the Lord is here, make clear your life so that the Lord may come, so that the Lord will work through you, then that hit them in all of the best of ways because now they had something they could do to bring that time on. But then we also see in that second paragraph starting in verse 7 and going through to 10, that there was others there that very much so did not take that message In that positive way, the Pharisees and the Sadducees come up to be baptized and John denounces them. You brood of snakes, it says here. You brood of vipers. And that is kind of the lowest key thing that he says when he's chewing them out here. And kind of the entirety of what he says here just boils down to You who claim that you know God better than anyone else, you who claim that you know God better than anyone else and you tell people how they can know God as well, how can you say that? Where is the fruit in your life? Where is the fruit from your relationship with God? The Pharisees and the Sadducees both understood what it meant to follow God and the best way to do that In very different ways. We'll get to that in a little bit. But that they preached out loud a message of who God was that bore no fruit, that was anger, that was pain, that was everything that our God is not. And they said that that is what the Lord is. Where is the fruit in that? You are not saved just because you are from the line that you are from. If you do not bear fruit, then the axe of judgment is poised and you will be thrown in the fire. These people are the leaders of Israel at this point and this is how John approaches them. A very prophetic thing, that is what prophets do. And we can see that the message is taken in a very different way. The same message, but received in a very different way, depending upon who you are. But possibly the most scandalous thing that John says, you can find it in verse 11 there. I baptize you with water but someone is coming who is far greater than I, who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Up until this point, John has been very much so in line with all of the prophets of the Old Testament and all the things that he was saying. But right there, he says something to the Sadducees and the Pharisees that they very much so would understand to be pretty much as heretical as it comes. Because the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit does show up throughout the Old Testament on another um, number of occasions, comes upon Samson and he lifts the heavy things, is breathed into Adam and then he comes to life. When the Spirit of God shows up in the Old Testament, that is how God is working. That is God at work. And so here... John is saying that one is coming who is greater than him, one who can control God himself, who can command God himself. And you can imagine that all of the rest of the people that are hearing John's message, that are taking it to heart, that are changing their lives, that are clearing it as a result... When they hear that, they are just whipped into a fever pitch. But all of the people that take his message as a threat, they become just a little bit more afraid of who John is and what it is that he is saying here. But then we get to the part where they're baptized in fire. And that is much the same thing. For those that do repent, that do clear their lives, to be baptized in fire, we know is a purifying, is a refining. But for those who take this as a threat, those who do not heed the words of the prophet John, it is a scourge unlike anything else. Repent for the kingdom of God of heaven is soon to arrive. The words of the prophet John. Today is the second Sunday of Advent. The second Sunday of the time of the year that we stop, that we take stock of our own lives. And then we look forward to Christ's return, both as an infant in that manger all the years ago, but also for when he comes again. Advent has that dual purpose of looking forward not just to Christmas, but also to what will be. And John the Baptist Is a central figure in that. He's a central figure in that because, as Matthew shows us, John the Baptist is also John the prophet who gives us the message that we need to take to heart so that we can prepare ourselves for when the Lord comes. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is drawing near. When we hear that message, how do we hear it? Do we hear it like the countless people that come to John and hear that and are just overwhelmed by how amazing it is? Do we hear that as the good news that if only we look at ourselves and we see the things that we know keep us from our Lord, that keep the Lord from being able to work through us. We see those obstacles and we cast them aside, that then the Lord is free to come. When we hear that message, do we hear it in that way, in the way that it is easing the coming of the kingdom of God, the coming of the kingdom that will see the low raised up, that will see the hurt comforted, that will see those that are seen as not even human recognized as people, that will see the sins of our world done away with, When we hear his words, do we hear that as the good thing because now we know what we need to do in order to aid the coming of our Lord? Or do we hear it like a threat? Do we hear it like the Pharisees and the Sadducees? The Pharisees and the Sadducees had very distinct sins in the eyes of John and the people from that time. Very distinct, but also sins that very much so are still with us today. The Pharisees had this tendency when they talked about God and how to follow God and taught other people how they should follow God, to explain it in terms of following rules on rules on rules on rules on rules on rules on rules, and if you didn't have your entire life to dedicate to learning what those rules on rules on rules on rules were, and then you violated them, then, well, too bad for you. How is that not still a sin that is present in the church today? Like across North America, but also like, I hate to say it, but in our own lives, all of our own lives, that feeling that if you're going to follow God rightly, then that means that, well, then obviously you need to live in this very particular way. And those that don't, we find ourselves judging them pretty quickly. We can tell it's rampant. How many of us know somebody that is outside the church that will not darken the doors because the Christians are judgmental? The Christians have talked down to them because of what they've done. They might not even understand what they did, but what they know is the people inside that building with the cross on it want nothing to do with them even though they very loudly yell at them that they do. Many of us know people that are from the church itself that have left for that very reason, that spirit of judgmental gatekeeping based upon how we proclaim is the only right way to follow God. It's such a problem that not only John talks about it, calls out the Pharisees in this passage. But Jesus makes sport of it almost. There's a reason one of the big points of the Sermon on the Mount is don't judge lest you be judged. The speck of sawdust in your eye and the plank in the other. I think I said that backwards. And it's one of the major points of Paul as well. Where is the fruit in it? Where is the fruit of that judgmental gatekeeping? Drives people away, drives Christians away, keeps people out of the church, and makes them assume that the God we say is a God of love is nothing but hate in turn. Where is the fruit in it? So if the sin of the Pharisees is in your life, then repent, for the kingdom of God is drawing near. Those are the words of John for us today. Clear your life. Make straight the way for the coming of the Lord. And the Sadducees, their sin is pretty much the history of the church. The Sadducees were rulers in Jerusalem. They were also the people that were in charge of the temple. And so to a great extent, they got to kind of dictate what the right way was to worship God to all of the people that they ruled over. And wouldn't you know it, somehow all of those ways that they taught is the right way to follow God really ended up coming up pro-Sadducee in the end. These people were very wealthy. These people were the ones that just so happened to be who taxed everybody, These people were widely seen as colluding with Rome against their own people. These people have many, many stories of them stepping on those around them, and then when anybody had the audacity to say something against them, that was when the hammer really came down. The Sanhedrin that eventually arrests Jesus is mostly staffed by Sadducees. The sin of the Sadducees is that they leveraged their faith for power over others. And boy, did they ever step on everyone as a result. How is that not the history, the last 2,000 years of the church? How is that not all of Christendom? How is that not the doctrine of discovery? How is that not even present today? Don't let it slip you by that the more political ads these days are using a lot of religious language. That's surely going to turn out well. And that's on all levels health and wealth is still alive and well, even though it really is only serving to make the people on top of that wealthy and everyone else is getting their back skinned off of them. The sin of the Sadducees, the sin of wanting to leverage our faith in order to better ourselves, to get wealth for ourselves, to get what we want, and then to tell everybody else that it's actually what God wants us to do. That is alive and well today. And so if that is the sin in your heart, John tells us, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is drawing near. Where is the fruit in it? might look like it is doing all of the things to begin with, but look what has happened in the end every time. The low are kicked lower. They are dehumanized. And for what? In our passage today, we hear the prophet John the Baptist give us this message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. During the season of Advent where we stop, where we take stock of our own lives, And then we look to the coming of Christ, both in that manger and also when he returns again. That is the message that puts us in the place where we can truly do that. Truly prepare ourselves for the coming of the Lord. And so, when we hear that message, how do you hear it? Is it the good news? Or is it a threat? You did. Our benediction today comes from the book of Numbers. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. Go this week and serve our loving God.